Hi. What are you interested in in life? TV, cup counts, stuff like that. What are your favorite TV shows? Um, there's Inspector Gadget, Number Blocks. What subjects do you like in homeschool? And PE. You like PE? Mm-hmm. Do you, did you enjoy going to the public school? No. That's nine-year-old Kai Atala. <laughs> He's talking to Free Press reporters Lily Altavina and Dave Boucher. Kai was diagnosed with autism when he was five, and it was around that age when he, on multiple occasions, spent time at school, isolated in a room. What did they tell you about why you were being put in the room? They said it was for safety purposes. Did you feel safe? No. Why did you feel unsafe? Well, you're trapped and alone in a room and you can't get out and you just get more and more frustrated and more and more angry and more and more upset. It looks kind of like a closet. That's Kai's mom, Casey Atala. She's a former teacher. This is a pretty new school and it was clearly built as a seclusion room. It's not like off of a hallway, you know, a closet. But it, I would say it's about four feet by eight feet. And they said they had to do it for their own safety. I'm like, really? Like, I mean, yeah, he's kicked me before, but I, like, gosh, if you're working with little kids and you've never been kicked, that's kind of surprising. Kai and his mom are describing controversial tactics in Michigan schools, secluding and physically restraining students in response to a perceived behavioral issue. I'm going to put this as blunt as I can. Seclusion and restraint should be illegal. It's wrong. The thing is, it is illegal for the most part. Under laws passed in 2016, teachers are supposed to use seclusion and methods of restraint for emergencies only. So why has it been used nearly 94,000 times in the last five years, primarily on kids with disabilities like Kai? On this episode, we're talking with Lily Altavina about her investigation with Dave Boucher into seclusion and restraint in Michigan, how common the practices are, who defends it, why it's still used, and what experts make of it. I'm Carrie Jr. the second, and this is On the Line. So, you know, you've been doing this investigation. You've been working with Dave. Can you just talk a little about you and Dave and, and what you guys have been going into? Yeah, Dave and I have been looking at restraint and seclusion in Michigan schools for over a year now. And so restraint is when a student, usually a student with a disability, is physically restrained by an adult in the classroom using force. Um, seclusion, kind of what it sounds like. It's when a student is isolated in a room to themselves. Um, you know, it's usually when they are in a moment of mental crisis, mental anguish. So in the past five school years, educators have secluded or restrained students nearly 94,000 times. Um, and that's since 2017, 2018 school year when the state started collecting data, which if you, you know, calculate that out on average, seclusion or restraint happens about 100 times in classrooms daily. But given that schools were closed for a significant period during the pandemic, it's likely that that daily average is higher. Okay. And so you and Dave Boucher went to speak with uh, Cassie, Kai, and Daniel. Yes. Yeah, so Dave and I met Cassie, Daniel, and Kai Atala. Cassie is the mother of Kai. Daniel's the father of Kai. 
Um, and Kai is a nine-year-old from Holland. So Kai was secluded in his kindergarten and first grade year quite a few times, and that has really shaped his relationship with education. Experts have said that that often these practices are largely traumatizing to children, um, that they leave them with trauma, that they they don't often help the behavior that, that educators are trying to tamp down on. He's, you know, had significant trauma from these experiences. His mom said he partly homeschools now because seclusion was so traumatizing to him. So Kai would, you know, maybe act out in class or act erratically in class. And, you know, an educator would eventually seclude him in a room, sometimes in a conference room, sometimes in a seclusion room, uh, which are usually very small rooms. Often they're padded rooms um, about the size of a broom closet. Mm. And it's usually just them alone, a fluorescent light and an adult outside the door hearing them, them wail and cry. What brought you to this investigation? We had heard um, some parents in Farmington who were upset about a new seclusion room. Um, but about a year ago, I also received an email from a parent whose child had experienced multiple instances of seclusion um, at a school. And as we sort of got deeper and deeper into this, we looked at the state data. We realized that the state had tried to ban seclusion and restraint in 2016 or effectively ban it, really limit it. Um, But it doesn't seem like many of the limits really took hold because districts are still using restraint and seclusion at a high rate. Lawmakers attempted to limit restraint and seclusion only in the use of emergencies when a student uh, poses harm to themselves or others. But what we found is that that definition is kind of broad and educators, you know, can kind of say that a three foot tall kid pulling hair spitting constitutes an emergency when critics wouldn't call that an emergency. So back to Kai, what kind of things was he doing and then what were the teachers you know, motivated to do as a result? Yeah. So I think it's important that, you know, Cassie described Kai in kindergarten and first grade as just a little guy. You know, think of a first grader or kindergartner that, you know, they're pretty small. Um, You know, it's their first year of school. Kai was about three feet tall. And so Kai could manage his emotions in some instances. So, you know, he would he would use toys and throw them. He would pull teacher's earrings he would um you know he once used scissors and and sort of rubbed them against another student leaving a mark so it, you know they were certainly incidents that were causing alarm and what is kai or what is kai and what is cassie said about like what it's been like for him to have gone through uh that type of discipline yeah for kai i mean he remembers you know these bright lights. He remembers feeling trapped and alone and wanting some help and wanting his mom. And for him, it just, you know, he said it made him more and more angry. And when you were in the room, what did you do? You know, when you were upset, how did you take that anger out? Well, I kicked the door, pounded on the door, yelled. And how long did it feel like you were in the room? Forever. What does forever feel like? Like a really long time. I asked him when he got home, what was it like to be restrained? 
and he said he he wouldn't tell me but he said he would show me so he sat me down on the floor and he told me i couldn't move he said you can't move you're not allowed to move any part of your body and he crawled up on my lap and he started licking my face and i one thing that i hate is i hate being licked and it was the most genius way for him to communicate to me how horrible it was. Cassie and Daniel really both emphasize that they know that the educators who secluded and restrained Kai were all doing their best, were doing what they thought was right. But they also know that, that the practices themselves traumatized their child. It's an extremely emotional demand, emotionally demanding job. They're working really hard. I know, I learned these things. I was very motivated because I had an autistic child and a lot of help. But to, to ask schools to just suddenly change, that, that's a lot. That's hard for them. Kai's former school, Black River Public School, originally did not answer questions from Lily and Dave on this. However, after the freak broke the story, the head of school reached out to say, quote, practices are reflective of changes in the law in recent years and are consistent with MDE guidelines, unquote. MDE is the Michigan Department of Education. I'm just curious a little bit more specifically on what restraint looks like. Um, are they holding them by their arms? Are they tying them up? What does that look like? A common way to physically restrain a kid is instead of, you know, pinning them down, which can be really dangerous and kids have died from being pinned down, you know, keeping them upright, keeping their arms sort of like in line like they're kind of doing like a cross motion mm -hmm. and then having one adult on either side holding their arms oh. so that they can't sort of like wiggle away like a, a religious cross like a t it does it, oh. yeah it, it does kind of look like a religious cross okay. interesting after the break, we go deeper on the findings of the free press investigation and why practices that are supposed to be limited seem commonplace. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back with Free Press reporter Lily Altavina talking about her investigation with colleague Dave Boucher into the controversial use of seclusion and restraints in Michigan schools. So I want to zoom out from yeah. Kai here and into the broader investigation yeah. that you all are talking about, um, getting to specifics. Can you outline the findings of your investigation thus far? Yeah. So, so far we found that districts aren't supposed to seclude elementary school kids for longer than 15 minutes or kids in middle and high school for longer than 20 minutes, unless it's an emergency. And we've seen already multiple cases in the records where children were secluded for more than an hour or just even more than that 15 or 20 minutes. Um, we found at least two incidents of districts or schools that reported zero acts of seclusion or restraint to the state. But later we knew that they were using seclusion and restraint either based on interviews with parents or investigations opened by the feds um, into the practices. 
So why has it been in, uh, implemented? If the law says that it's illegal, why are people still practicing it? Well, you know, educators can say that they were in an emergency. And one of the things that we've heard, you know, one thing that we've heard from experts over and over again is when a kid is dysregulated emotionally, when a kid is having a hard time emotionally, um, you know, an adult who's having a hard time emotionally is going to have a really rough time responding to them and actually helping to calm them down, manage their emotions. A lot of educators may not be trained in what to do, how to confront a child emotionally. You know, they may be afraid in some cases if a kid is kicking them or throwing things at them or has said something, you know, kind of scary to them. You may have kids running away and and teachers who don't know what else to do. I'm wondering, though, like if this is outlawed, what what are the potential consequences? And that's actually another one of our big findings is that, you know, under state law, there really are no penalties for uh, restraining or secluding a child in improperly or for reporting the data improperly. You know, the Michigan Department of Education told me that they have no latitude in enforcing improper restraint or seclusion. Can you tell me like why that law is passed, but it was passed in a way where there isn't a consequence for violating it? Yeah. So at the time in 2016, then Lieutenant Governor Brian Kelly was sort of the architect of the law. And he had, you know, heard all of these instances that he found to be barbaric and inhumane. But he had said that there was some sort of subtle effort to to sort of tank this. He knew that that it wasn't going far enough because there were pushback from educators and pushback from schools who said, well, you know, like, what about that six foot three kid who's going to hurt us? Um, and that's why they kind of needed these practices. OK, OK. Um, and then if you could tell us a little like so, what are some other examples of when restraint happened outside of Kai's story? You know, in 2003, there was an incident that really uh, kicked off the idea of trying to ban it in Michigan. A 15 year old in Kalamazoo was diagnosed with autism. He uh, appeared to be he appeared to have a seizure and then he started acting combative and so multiple adults forced him face down to the ground held his arms and legs mm. and he died within hours and then it took about 13 years for the state to pass legislation you know and there are some cases of kids spitting kids you know argued over a reindeer and that and got kind of combative about it so they were secluded or restrained um, you know, there were kids who were disrespectful, you know, according to the records, and they were secluded or restrained. And that really isn't supposed to happen. If a child is disrespectful, that's not an emergency, clearly. Um, and so what are some alternative ways to handle behavioral emergencies? Are there any other ways to do it that don't include seclusion or restraining a child? That's something we're exploring. And that's something a lot of the documents say is, OK, you know, educators, what alternatives have you tried? Have you tried, you know, giving the child a sensory item that might help calm them down? Um, you know, one educator told me that they are now instead of putting a child into a seclusion room, they are clearing the classroom. Um, you know, you can take a break with a child. There are a lot of alternatives, but we're still kind of exploring what other alternatives are working. And we know that's an important part of the story. So you'll want to check back with us at The Free as Lily and Dave continue to investigate. Is there any chance that the law that currently stands on seclusion and, and uh, restraint, where it has no potential 
the consequences? Is there any chance that that will change? We don't know. It's an election year. So I think we'll just kind of have to see legislatively if there are any changes or, or impact. And I'll say that, mm-hmm. um, you know, federally, federal lawmakers have long said that they want to put limits on restraint and seclusion, uh, but we haven't seen anything yet pass. Okay. Lily and Dave actually get into how state lawmakers voted on this back in 2016 in their stories, and some are on the ballot this year. So you can definitely check that out online. Um, how is Kai doing now? Is he still in school? Kai um, was pulled out of school in 2020, and really, de- his mom said she de-schooled him, which means that they spent some time away. They traveled the country. They s- saw, you know, different states and and sort of learned naturally for a little bit. They're in a more structured homeschool environment now where he does work, but Cassie really just tries to foster kind of his interests. Like he's really interested in the founding fathers. So he spent a lot of time on the founding fathers and he went to Hamilton and got to see Hamilton. So Kai is doing better. Um and and he is going back to school on a part time basis. Oh, in in school. Yeah, yeah, okay. in person school at a local district. But, you know, Cassie and Daniel have asked the district to agree in writing not to exclude Kai again. Right. They have agreed, but I think, you know, they still worry if there is a moment where he has trouble managing his emotions, will he be secluded again? Okay, so you're doing an ongoing investigation. You need some help also from our listeners too. Is there a specific call to action you want to ask the listeners for? that we can include in our podcast say, hey, call in, leave this information, all that kind of stuff. Yes. Um, you have their ear. We want to hear from you if your child or if you or someone you know has experienced restraint or seclusion in a school setting to tell us what happened. Um, we have a database up of school districts that have reported to the state how many times they use seclusion of restraint. Please search that database and tell us if your district has reported zero instances in a year that you know that they secluded or restrained somebody you know. Please let us know. You know, experts have told us that they believe that there is an undercounting of instances of restraint and seclusion. Thank you, Lily, for taking the time. (laughs) Thank you for having us. We always enjoy it. I always enjoy it. I don't know who he is. Thank you for having me and (laughs) listening to Dave. (laughs) Right. Having you and Dave in spirit. Yeah, Dave's here in spirit. If you or someone you know has a story that could help Lily and Dave's investigation, send them an email at freepseclusionandrestraint at gmail.com. That's F-R-E-E-P seclusionandrestraint at gmail.com. Thanks in advance. For more on Kai and his family and to learn about a district that has used seclusion and restraint more than 4,000 times in five years, go to Freep.com and read more of Lily and Dave's reporting. This episode was produced by me and Darcy Moran. Ajene Delgado and Marianne Struman are our executive producers, and Peter Bhatia is our editor. The music, as always, for the show is called Fort Trumbull and was produced by DJ Lost Boy. Thank you all for listening. And if you like the show, please share with your friends and family. It makes a big difference. Subscribe, leave a comment. But most of all, come back next week. See you then.